Hey, good morning and welcome to church this morning, Summit Church. We're so glad that you're part of our online campus. Thank you so much for being here. And I want to encourage you today, if you're new with us, thank you so much for checking Summit Church online campus out. And we just really believe that God wants to do something significant in your life. And I hope you have enjoyed worship today and communion and worshiping with us. And I just ask that you just get connected. So you're going to see on your screen there how you can get connected because we want to serve you. We want to have relationship with you. We want to connect with you. I know a lot of times when we do something like an online campus, sometimes maybe we feel removed from things, but you don't have to be. You're not doing life on your own. Here at Summit Church, we believe in a relationship, and that applies equally well with our online campus. And so make sure you take care of that. And, and connect with us so that we can have a pastor and leader minister to you as you are a part of our church. And we thank you so much for that. And if you're new with us, feel, feel free to fill that information out so that we can connect with you and help you with your next steps. And so today we're starting a brand new series. And it's a, it's a series that people have asked me about for some time now to do. And I'm just going to be honest that I've avoided it in a lot of ways because to be honest, I really don't appreciate how a lot of people approach this subject simply because I feel like we over-sensationalize it. Uh, I think sometimes we get a little obsessive about certain things. I think that sometimes we present it in a way that's really more about putting on display how much we know as opposed to really ministering to people with the, with the Word. And so we're going to go ahead and do this, but I believe it's going to have a fresh type of perspective for you, and I think it's going to be good. So today, we're going to start our series called Celebrate Jesus is Coming. And I really believe that that's the approach we should take. We should celebrate. So let's read our text together, and then we're going to get into this message that I'm going to entitle Attitude, Approach, and Application. Because I think and fear that a lot of times when it comes to eschatological things or apocalyptic things from the Word, we're very rarely practical about it. In other words, how does this apply to my life and what do I do? So what we're going to do is we're going to try our best to help you know and understand the things that you need to know and understand about end time things. And then we're going to give you some challenges about how you apply that to your daily life. And so I think it's going to help you today. So today we're going to talk about attitude, approach, and application. Let's read our text. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 13. We're going to read 13 through probably 16, I believe. It's right there on your screen. Brothers and sisters, we do not want you to be uninformed about those who sleep in death so that you do not grieve like the rest of mankind who have no hope. For we believe that Jesus died and rose again. And so we believe that God will bring with Jesus those who have fallen asleep in Him. According to the Lord's Word, we tell you that we who are still alive, who are left until the coming of the Lord, will certainly not precede those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord Himself will come down from heaven with a loud command, with the voice of the archangel, and with a trumpet call of God. And the dead in Christ will rise first, and after that, we who are still alive and are left to be caught up together with Him in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will be with the Lord forever. Therefore, encourage one another with these words. I want you to notice that last sentence. Therefore, encourage one another with these words. So I don't know if you, when, when 
end time things are talked about when you pick up the newspaper nowadays, when you look online of everything that's going on. I don't know if you dread. I don't know if you fear. I don't know if you become anxious. But here's what we're supposed to do. We're supposed to take the theology of the Word of God as it pertains to um, end time things. And we're supposed to encourage each other. Jesus is coming. Let's celebrate. Father, we just thank you for your word, and we just ask you to minister through us today. God, thank you for the opportunity and privilege to speak your word and declare your word. God, just empower me today and enlighten my mind and open my understanding so that every word that I articulate today is not in any way draw attention to me or to anything else, but just to you. Lord, let you be the center of everything we do. And we ask that you plant this seed, this word in our hearts like seed. Sow it into the fertile soil of our spirit and cause it to bring forth fruit. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. So today I want to talk to you about attitude, approach, and application. You know, C.S. Lewis said something that I find very interesting as it pertains to um, eschatology. He said, A continual looking forward to the eternal world is not a form of escapism or wishful thinking, but it's one of the things a Christian is meant to do. I want to go even further than C.S. Lewis today, and I want to say that I think we've lost a step in the essence of thinking about eternity or longing for eternity. You know, uh, I'm not one of those people that subscribes to the idea that we should be so heavenly minded that we're no earthly good. And what I mean by that is I'm not one of those people that thinks that we should be sitting around waiting for Jesus to come and not doing anything with our lives because the Bible is very clear. Jesus is very clear that when he ascended to the Father and he sent the Holy Spirit, he gave us a very clear directive, occupy until I come. In other words, he was saying, I have had a particular occupation while I've been here. Now I'm handing that occupation over to you. So while you're waiting and watching for my return, make sure you're doing what I've done. It's very important. So I'm not a person that believes that we should just be sitting around talking about end times all the time, talking about the return of Jesus all the time, only thinking about those things and not doing what God's called us to do or purpose for us to do. So I think there are certain attitudes that we should have about eschatology, which means end-time thinking or uh, the the study of end-time things, Uh, I think think that we should also have certain attitudes about it, and I think we should approach it in certain ways, and I think there's application to be made when we know all of these things. So we're going to go through a lot of things today, so I want you to get your notes out or your notebooks or whatever, and I want you to really prepare. I'm probably going to say some things that you haven't heard before. I'm probably going to say some things you have heard before, but it's important today that we really understand what God is trying to say. So I want to talk first about attitude. What should our attitude be about learning and knowing and talking about and studying the end times or studying the coming of Christ. So what should our attitude be about the coming of Christ? So the first attitude we should have is we should be anxiously or earnestly or eagerly awaiting his return. The Bible says in 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 10, but the day of the Lord will come like a thief and then the heavens will vanish with a mighty and thunderous roar 
and the material elements will be destroyed with intense heat, and the earth and the works that are on it will be burned up. Since all these things are to be destroyed in this way, what kind of people ought you to be in the meantime? In holy behavior, that is in a pattern of daily life that sets you apart as a believer, and in godliness displaying profound reverence towards our awesome God, while you earnestly look for and await the coming of the day of the Lord. Some translations say anxiously, some translations say eagerly. For in this day the heavens will be destroyed by burning and the material elements will melt with intense heat. Now we'll talk more about what that's really talking about. What I want you to derive from that scripture right now is that our attitude towards the coming of Christ should be we are anticipating it. We are eagerly anticipating it. We're anxiously awaiting it. Now, I'm not trying to liken you to a dog, but I want to give you an example and an illustration of what I mean by eagerly or anxiously awaiting. You know, sometimes when we get the idea of waiting, we don't, we don't wait well. We don't have very good patience sometimes, so we don't understand what you're supposed to be doing in the meantime. But what God is saying to us and what Jesus is saying to us and the apostles are saying to us is that we should anxiously await. In other words, we're waiting for God to return and we should do it with an eagerness or an excitement, an anticipation that builds an enthusiasm in us that says, I can't wait for the day. And, and, and unfortunately, I think because we have lost perspective of eternity and we think so much about the present and we are so in love with our lives here on earth and we're so blessed that we have forgotten how to look for eternity. We have forgotten. It, it really doesn't hit us until something bad happens or we lose a loved one or we have a funeral or something like that. Then we start thinking about the mortality of life and maybe the, 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 the limitations of life. And we start thinking about eternity. But I want us to understand that God, that's not the perspective God wants us to have. He wants us to be thinking about it, not trying to escape our purpose, but that our minds should be on it. You know, uh, I have a dog. She's an Irish doodle, which is a standard poodle mixed with an Irish sitter. And let me just tell you, that dog is birdie, y'all. I mean, she is energetic. She is happy. She loves you. She loves everybody. She's, she wants to talk. She wants to hang out. She would rather be, she would literally rather socially be with me than to eat. Like there are times that I'll feed her, but she wants, she'll bring her food out and try to, and try to eat it where I'm sitting because she just wants to be around me. So every day and every uh, uh, time that I go to bed at night and get up in the morning, there's this moment of anticipation with Ruby. Ruby loves me and she cannot wait to be with me. So every night I'll walk her uh, into, I mean, I'll walk into my room and I shut the door because I don't want her sleeping in my room because she'll get up on our bed or she'll walk around the, the, the wood floors and it wakes me up. And so I'm like, I don't want any part of that. So I close my door. But I'm telling you, that dog will go and sleep in my office or she'll sleep in the living room or she'll do whatever. She's very well trained. But the moment she hears me, the moment she hears me open that door in the morning, early in the morning, she is, I'm headed towards my office where she's usually laying. But 
I won't get to my office because by the time I get out of my room, walk through the kitchen, she's already standing at the edge of the bar. And she's just sitting there with the tongue out and just waiting for me to pet her and sticking her head under my hand and just ready, 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 always ready. And so that's kind of like what this is for us. It's like, I don't want to just wait, but I want to anxiously wait. I'm anticipating God to come. I'm anticipating all the good things that are going to happen when Jesus returns. The second attitude we should have is we should be watching for his return. Uh, scripture in Luke chapter 12, verse 37, it, it says, Blessed are those servants who the master, when he comes, will find watching. In other words, we're not just ignoring God and going through life, and then when he returns, being, oh yeah, God's here. No, it's like we know that he's coming back because he promised, and God is not a man that he should lie. So if that's true, we should be watching. Number three, the attitude we should have is we need to be ready. And I know that's, that's gotten confused and, and mixed up and people don't really understand this anymore because we've just, ah, in a lot of ways, we've kind of misrepresented grace and we've kind of just taken on this failure type mentality attitude that we're all just going to constantly be sinning and all of this and we've kind of lost that attitude of uh, victory and being sanctified by the power of the Holy Spirit and growing in our faith. And so when we hear scriptures like this, it kind of sounds odd that what does that mean? Be ready. Isn't it just mean everybody who faintly believes in Jesus or everybody who has ever gone to church or everybody who says they're a Christian is going when Jesus comes? Well, let's read first John chapter three, verse two through three. But friends, that's exactly who we are, children of God. And that's only the beginning. Who knows how we'll end up? What we know is that when Christ is openly revealed, we'll see Him. And in seeing Him, we will become like Him. All of us who look forward to His coming, stay ready with the glistening purity of Jesus' life as a model for our own. In other words, the Apostle John tells us here clearly that if we want to go when Jesus returns, we should be staying ready with glistening purity of Jesus' life as a model for our own. In other words, we're living our life in relationship with Jesus. We're looking at how His life was and doing our very best to reflect that and watching and waiting. We need to be ready. So now, if that's the attitudes that we should have, I want to talk to you about how we should approach eschatological things. How do we approach the study of the end times or the knowledge of the end times or the understanding of the end times? How should we approach the second coming of Christ? Well, number one, we should know what we can, but not worry about what we can't know. We should know what we can, but not worry about what we can't know. Now, I I'm going to tell you what I mean by that, and probably most of you already know where I'm going with this. But it has bothered me for years, and it still bothers me today. It's almost like the Garden of Eden. You know, God told Adam and Eve, I built this garden for you. It's perfect. It's paradise. You can have anything in here, but you can't have that one tree. Don't eat of that tree. That's mine. That belongs to me, not to you. Don't have it. But they just couldn't stand it. They had to have that because they, they didn't have, they, they had everything else and they wanted that one thing that they 
couldn't have. Isn't that so much like human nature? That's exactly what we've done with the theological understandings and studies and representations and obsessions with the end times, even in teaching it from pulpits all over the world and writing books about it. We want to know that very one thing we cannot know. When is he coming? There's a reason why we cannot know when he is coming. So we should get comfortable with knowing what we can about eschatological events, but we also should not worry, be anxious, or obsessed with things that we cannot know. Matthew chapter 24, verse 36 says, But about that day or hour no one knows, not even the angels in heaven, nor the Son, but only the Father. It is like the Garden of Eden all over again. We do not want to make this mistake. So when you hear somebody say, this is when he's coming back, or even if you hear them say things like, well, we can't know the day or the hour. I've heard people be so foolish just to say, we can't know the day or the hour, but we know this about culture and this about the Jews and this about. So it's probably going to be around this time. And every single time, every time, they're made to be fools. And you know what's interesting to me? They never give you a refund on their book. Isn't that interesting? Or they, something happens in end time events. Something happens in the nations or something happens around Israel. And, and a book comes out from some eschatological preacher and they totally miss it. But you never hear an apology. You never get a refund on the book. It's foolishness. We need to know what we can know because those are the things God wants us to know. And we need to let go and not worry about the things we can't know because God doesn't want us to know. The whole point is that we should be ready at all times. That's why you can't know. The imminence of the coming of Christ is very important. That, that means that it, he is coming, but you cannot know when he's coming. And the reason you cannot know when he's coming is because he wants you to treat every day like he could be coming that day. You should plan your life like Jesus isn't coming in your lifetime, but you should live your life every day like he could come today. St. Augustine said this, the last day is hidden so that every day will be regarded. In other words, you're going to live your life full on today for the purpose of God, expecting that Jesus could come right now. So I'm, I'm going to be ready. I'm going to be watching. I'm going to be focused on Jesus. The second thing we should do in our approach to these the coming of Christ, is num number two, we should take a Christocentric approach. And the first step to that is this. We need to believe Jesus promised He's coming, and so we believe He's coming. In other words, it's not an option. It's not something that was a fairy tale. It's not some story or account of some religious writer of fictional material. No, Jesus Himself said, I'm coming back. And he promised he's coming back. And therefore, we have to take him at his word if we believe in who he is. Amen? We need to take a Christocentric approach. See, expect, hope, focus on Christ and his coming. Don't focus on who is the Antichrist and what will the Antichrist do or become obsessed with the signs of the times. Come on, I, we, we spend so much time talking about things we don't know that we're not even studying the things we should know. Come on, somebody. The third thing in our approach is we should be like Enoch. You know, Enoch was raptured. We'll talk about that a little bit later. But Enoch walked with God 
And here, let's look what the scripture says in Genesis chapter 5, verse 22. After he became the father of Methuselah, Enoch walked faithfully with God 300 years and had other sons and daughters. Altogether, Enoch lived a total of 365 years. Enoch walked faithfully with God. Then he was no more because God took him away. In other words, he didn't die. One day he was just walking with God and God said, hey, you want to come to my house? And they went. I mean, I don't know how that happens. I don't know what that looked like in his day. But here's what I know. What was he doing when he went to the Father? He was walking faithfully with God. The most important thing we could do, the most a significant approach we could take towards the coming of Christ is to faithfully walk with God. Don't let other things become our partner in this walk. Don't let be distracted by other things that want to walk with you. But just be that person who faithfully walks with God. When everybody else is walking with other things, you walk with God. When other things are distracting you to try to keep you from walking with God, you stay walking with God. Number four, how do we approach it? Know what the Bible says about prophetic events that are still left to happen. I believe that the significant event that is next on the prophetic calendar is the rapture of the church. I believe that's the next thing to happen prophetically for the kingdom of God, in the kingdom of God, as it, in terms of the prophetic things. But here are some things that are coming. Uh, the rapture of the church is going to come. The great tribulation, the battle of Armageddon, the second coming of Christ, the millennial reign, the last battle, the final judgment, and then the hard reset. We're going to talk about all these things throughout this series, but we need to know about the things we can know because they will have application as we approach with the right attitudes the things uh, about the end times, then we can begin to learn and develop how this applies to our life and how it should affect us today so that we can be ready, so that we can fulfill purpose, so that we can fulfill the occupation of Christ until He comes. Don't be silly. We have people that are silly like they were in the New Testament church. When Jesus promised that he was coming back, the truth is there are many of them that expected him to come at any moment, and they should have, but they went to the extreme. And instead of continuing to occupy till they come, they sold all their goods, set out on a hill, and waited for him to return. The apostles had to correct them and say, get back to your life, get back to fulfilling the purpose of God, get back to building the kingdom, and when he comes, be ready. Don't be silly. In some ways, we are like that today. We're majoring on the minors and minoring on the majors. Let's get back to truth and stick with it and know what God wants us to know. Now, I'm not talking to you if you're like a person who loves to study end times. That good for you. There's nothing wrong with that. But be careful that you don't obsess over that and begin to see everything in your life through that filter. It can really begin to skew your view. So we're, we're going to think about all these things in the rest of this series, but for the rest of this message, we want to talk particularly about the second coming of Jesus Christ. Now, the first and second comings of Christ are very important. The second is just as important as the first. And from a biblical perspective, it could be said that it may be more important. Now, we, we talk a lot about Jesus coming the first time as a baby and, and in all the things that he did in his ministry and then being crucified and resurrected. But for every one biblical prophecy about the first coming of Christ, there are eight about the second coming of Christ. In the 260 chapters of the New Testament, there are 318 references to the second coming of Christ. One in 25 verses in the Bible talk about the second coming of Christ. So 
The point is, Jesus is coming back. And when is he coming back? I don't know. But we're closer to that date now than we were yesterday. And that's the way we need to view that. There's a difference between uh, the rapture and the second coming. And this is really the predominant thing I want to talk about today because a lot of times people get this confused. That they, they think the rapture and the second coming are the same thing. And the problem with that is we read some scriptures that talk about the second coming and, and it seems different than the scriptures about the rapture. It seems like the second coming talks about the world ending and the sun turning to blood and the vapors of smoke and all of this stuff that it talks about will happen, this total reconstruction of the earth. And we think, how, how does that comport with the rapture? How do, we, how do we put those two things together? Well, we need to understand there are two different events. I'll explain. Some, some commentators or theologians will say it this way, that there are two parts to the second coming. First, the rapture of the church, and then the second is the return of Christ to the earth. The difference between the rapture of the church and the return of Christ are several things, and I'm just going to give you a few. The rapture is a stealth event. In other words, normal person is going to have no expectation of this at all, and they're not even going to know. They're just going to see the effects of it, but they're not going to know what happened. It'll be a secret. The second coming will be an extremely public event. In the rapture, we will meet the Lord in the air, the Bible says. In the second coming, He will descend all the way to the earth. In the rapture, he comes for his church. In the second coming, he comes with his church. In the rapture, he comes before judgment. In the second coming, he comes with judgment. There are no signs uh, for pre-rapture. This is something you need to understand. When you read all these passages of Scripture that pertain to eschatology, there are no signs. The rapture is an eschatological event that is signless. In other words, when you say, when, when, when it talks about wars and rumors of wars and all of the stuff that's going to happen, a lot of that stuff is things that are going to happen in the great tribulation before the second coming of Christ when he comes to the earth to judge the earth. You need to understand that that's not talking about the rapture. The rapture has no signs. In other words, any minute, like I could be preaching right now, Jesus could come and all believers who are following him would go right now. There's no sign that says it's about to happen. It's about the only thing that's going to happen is a trump's going to sound and boom, we're going to be gone. Something to think about. But there are signs for that are pre to the second coming. The rapture also has a different purpose than the second coming. So here's a question, what exactly is the rapture? So a question that always comes up about the rapture, because there's some people that don't believe it, there's some people that believe that we'll be raptured before the tribulation, that the church will be raptured before the tribulation, and I'm one of those people. I believe that. Um, there are some people that believe you'll be raptured in the mid-tribulation, and there are some people that, that there won't be a, a rapture, or it'll be post-tribulation at the second coming of Christ. I believe for many reasons that you're going to find out in this teaching that we, the church, will be raptured from the earth pre the great tribulation. So the question that comes up then is, is the word rapture in the Bible? No, it's not. But let's just be honest. There's a lot of words that we use today that aren't in the Bible or translated into the Bible. That, that really has nothing to do with a theological discussion, and it's a poor argument. 
However, the word rapture is an English translation of the Greek word harpazo. And here's what it means. It means, uh, well, let's just talk about it. It occurs 14 times in the New Testament, and at least four meanings are assigned to it. Taken together, these meanings kind of define the rapture for us. The first meaning of that word harpazo means to carry off by force. It means that the enemy will do everything he can to keep the church bound, to keep the church from being effective, to keep the church from the purpose of God. But God, His angelic host, and the power of the Holy Spirit will absolutely rescue the church from the world. The second meaning is to claim for oneself eagerly. In other words, it means to aggressively go after something and claim it. The third meaning means to snatch away speedily, which is the word that is used in the, the, the text that we use today in Thessalonians where it says uh, that the dead in Christ will rise first and the, then we, we which are alive and remain shall be caught up. That word caught up is that word harpazo, which means to snatch away speedily. And the fourth meaning is to rescue from the danger of destruction. To rescue from the danger of destruction. So when you look at these four meanings, what it does, it defines that word rapture for you and how it is used in the Bible and what it means for us. All of these meanings reveal the nature of the rapture. And the fourth meaning is one of the reasons why I believe that the rapture is the removal of the believing uh, church, the Christ-following church, before the Great Tribulation. Because that last meaning is to rescue from the danger of destruction. So the second thing is to answer the question, what is the rapture? What is the purpose of the rapture? Well, I believe that the rapture is God's provision for believers to escape the tribulation. I also believe that it is a kicking off point of that next phase of eschatological events. The starting point for the Antichrist to be revealed, and for the tribulation to begin. The seven years in which the tribulation is contextualized. The first three years of that seven-year period will be very effective, uh, powerful years where a leader comes on the scene and takes over and everyone says, this is the guy that's going to help us get through. But then he does something that we'll talk about later in the series of the abomination of desolation, puts a, a statue of himself up in the temple uh, of Israel, and they immediately know this is not the one. This is not the Messiah. And so they reject him. And, and then the, the three and a half years in, or the last three years of the tribulation, become very aggressive acts of judgment. Immediately before the judgment that will come at the great tribulation, Jesus catches the church away. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, For the Lord Himself will come down from heaven with a loud command and with the voice of the archangel and with the trumpet call of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. After that, we who are still alive and are left will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will be with the Lord forever. Therefore, encourage one another with these words. We should be encouraged by this. This is not something we should dread. This is not something we should be afraid of. This is not something we should be, oh, I don't want to go through this. This is glorious for us. This is wonderful for us that we would be swept away and rescued from what's coming to the earth. Revelation chapter 3, verse 10 says, since you have kept my commands. Now listen, 
This is, this is talking to the church at Ephesus, and he's saying to them something very important. This is another reason why we believe that, the, that God is rescuing the church pre-tribulation. What is the purpose of the rapture? Revelations chapter 3, verse 10 says, Since you have kept my command to endure patiently, I will also keep you from the hour of trial that is going to come on the whole world to test the inhabitants of the earth. So Jesus is literally saying to this church at Ephesus, which is an actual church, but also most theologians believe also the letters to the churches are not just letters to those actual churches, but they give kind of an indication of um, the church through the years, the church through the ages. And God is saying to them, there is coming a time where great tribulation is coming on the earth. I'm going to take you out of that because you have remained faithful to me. Scripture, uh, another scripture is John chapter 14, verse 1 through 3. It says this, do not let your hearts be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. My Father's house has many rooms. And if that were not so, would I, would I have told you that I'm going there to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you with me that you may go where I am. That's not just talking about death. It's, as a matter of fact, it's not talking about death. It's talking about when Jesus returns. It's Jesus himself speaking to his disciples. I'm coming to get you. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 50 through 57 in the NIV says this, I declare to you, brothers and sisters, that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. Listen, I tell you a mystery. We will not all sleep. In other words, we will not all die, but we will all be changed. In a flash, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound, the dead will be raised imperishable, and we will be changed. For the perishable must clothe itself with the imperishable, and the mortal with the immortality. And when the perishable has been clothed with the imperishable, and the mortal with immortality, then the saying that is written will come true. O death has been swallowed up in victory. Where, O death, is your victory? Where, O death, is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God, He gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. So, here's a question. What will the rapture be like? It's going to be completely unexpected. It's going to be completely unexpected. Like, people are going to have no idea it's about to happen, and boom, it's going to be happened. It's immediate, the twinkling of an eye. It doesn't say the blink of an eye. Many of us think about the blink of an eye, but it says the twinkling of an eye. That, that moment, that, that millisecond when light hits the cornea and reflects that twinkling, that moment of just so immediate that it would be hard. I think a lot of times we get in our mind because it says a trump will blow, the, the Lord will shout, the, the shout of the archangel, it 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 makes us think that this is kind of a prolonged thing, but it's not. I'm telling you, it will be so fast that no one will even see it. it immediately, when God says, that's it, it's time to bring the church home, it will just, like the snap of a finger, it kind of reminds me of that movie in the Avengers and the guy, the bad guy, I can't remember his name, that he, would, he made every, everything go away when he just did that. Literally, it'll be like that, but faster. In other words, there won't be a prolonged anything. The church will be here one moment. Think about it. All over the world, the church will be here one moment, and the next moment they'll be gone. Let me rephrase that. The next moment 
will be gone because <laughs> I'm not staying, y'all. Uh, number three, it's exclusive. In other words, it's for the believer. It's for the follower of Christ. It's for those who have a relationship with Jesus. It's not for everybody. It's for those who are committed followers of Jesus Christ. Number four, this will not be the first rapture. Think about that. Uh, there have already been raptures. Enoch was raptured like we talked about earlier. Elijah was raptured. Remember when the Bible talks about the chariot from heaven came down, picked him up. He didn't die. He went to heaven. He went directly to heaven. Jesus was raptured after his resurrection. He died, rose again from the dead, and then ascended to the Father. The disciples literally watch him leave the earth and go into the heavens. The apostle Paul was raptured. The Bible talks about he, he was taken up or caught up into the third heaven, raptured. And then there will be two more that are going to happen. And, and the one that we're interested in is the rapture of the church. But even in the tribulation, about uh, during the middle of the tribulation, the two uh, uh, prophets that are going to come and, and speak a message to the whole world are going to be executed and killed, but they're going to be resurrected. And then they will be raptured out of the world. Number three. I'm not going to go into detail all that. We're going to talk about more of that stuff as the series goes on, but I don't have time today. Number three, what's the result of the rapture? 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 7 through 8, it says, Concerning the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and our being gathered to Him, we ask you, brothers and sisters, not to become easily unsettled or alarmed by the teaching allegedly from us, whether by a prophecy or by a word, uh, uh, excuse me, uh, a prophecy or a word by mouth or by letter, asserting that the day of the Lord has already come. Don't let anyone deceive you in any way, for that day will not come until the rebellion occurs and the man of lawlessness, some, some translations say the man of sin or the man of perdition, is revealed, the man doomed to destruction. He will oppose and will exalt himself over everything that is called God or is worship, so that he sets himself up in God's temple, proclaiming himself to be God. Don't you remember that when I was with you, I used to tell you these things? And, and, and now you know that what is holding him back so that he may be revealed at the proper time. For the secret power of lawlessness is already at work. Boy, don't we see that today in the, today's culture. But the one who now holds it back, the one who now holds it back will continue to do so till he is taken out of the way. And then the lawless one will be revealed whom the Lord Jesus will overthrow with the breath of His mouth and destroy by the splendor of His coming. So what he's saying here is that the Antichrist, uh, the, the, the son of perdition, the son of lawlessness, will come on the scene. But when he comes on the scene, he won't come until someone is removed. Now, a lot of theologians have taught that the Holy Spirit that's talking about the Holy Spirit, but I don't believe that's so. And the reason is because we know that there's going to come a great horde of salvations out of the tribulation. Well, we know that you can't come to the Father. I mean, you can't come to Jesus and be saved unless the Father draws you. Well, who, who emanates from the Father that draws you? The Holy Spirit. So the Holy Spirit is not being removed from the earth. People are still going to be saved. They're still going to be regenerated. Well, how would that happen without the Holy Spirit? It wouldn't. So who is the He that it's talking about? The body of Christ. It's talking about the church. Just think about that. Our prayers, our commitments, our serving the kingdom of God. Think about all that that around the world is restraining and holding back. 
We've got to understand that when that happens, think about what happens when the church is removed and raptured from the world. Think about everything that will change overnight. Economies that will change. People's relationships that will change. Fear that will take over the earth. And so many things that will happen as a result. Just as a result of that. That's millions and uh, possibly a billion people. Gone. Think about the effects of that. This will begin the great tribulation. The second coming will end at the seven years of the tribulation and transition us into the new millennial. We'll talk more about that later. So what's our action? We've talked about what our attitude should be about eschatological things. We've talked about what our approach to the end times, the coming of Christ should be. So what's the action we need to take? What's the application we need to make? Number one, we need to understand that Jesus is not failing to keep His promise, but he's, He is coming. But remember that Jesus doesn't look at time the same way we do. A thousand years is a day, a day is a thousand years. In other words, He doesn't operate in our thinking of time. What Peter does tell us, though, that there is a reason He's waiting. 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 9 in the NIV says, The Lord is not slow in keeping His promise, as some understand slowness. Instead, He is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. Listen. There are more people in many, many, many more people in some countries of this world than were in existence at the time of the writing of this on the earth we have to understand that God is being patient so that people who are born into the world will be given a greater chance a greater opportunity to be saved and to make it to heaven it's God's patience that is making him slow to come it's his love it's his kindness that's making it slow to come it's not because he's not coming Believe me, He's coming, and we're closer than we've ever been. So what do we need to do? We need to understand that Jesus is not failing to keep His promise. We need to understand that He's being patient. Number two, we need to be steadfast. The Bible says in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 58, Therefore, my beloved brethren, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. Now this is a postscript to that scripture that talks about the transformation when Jesus comes and we're changed in a twinkling of an eye. He's saying, knowing this then, be steadfast and be immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord. So what should we do? Steadfastly abound in the work of the Lord. Occupy until He comes. The third is have a sense of urgency. If we truly believe in the imminence of the rapture, then it should inspire us to share our faith right now for the concern that someone may not make it to heaven if we do not do so. Four, we should be filled with hope. We should not be hopeless or discouraged or depressed or afraid or anxious, but we should be filled with hope. 
I have a, I, I have a dad-in-law that I'm going to see on the other side. I have two kids that have gone before me to the other side that I will be able to reunion, have a reunion with. I have two grandparents that I never got to meet that I'm going to get to meet on the other side. But most importantly, uh, most importantly, I get to stand in the presence physically and tangibly of my Savior Jesus who gave himself for me, who loves me and who cares for me and who comes back for me. He's not left me to this world. He's not left us to ourselves, but he loves us and he has a purpose and a plan that goes far beyond the judgment that's coming to this world. And I'm just going to tell you right now, I'm thankful for him and I can't wait to see him. I'm encouraged that it's sooner than later. I'm encouraged that I'm going to get to see him. I'm going to get to be with him. I'm going to get to have a reunion with family members and friends that have gone on before me. And then we are going to come back with him and be victorious in this earth and we will be here when he creates a new heaven and a new earth and we will exist in eternity we do not sorrow as those who have no hope we have a savior that cares and we will see him and we will be transformed as a result the second coming Jesus is going to come after that rapture after the tribulation battle of Armageddon and Jesus is going to judge. We've known Jesus as this kind, loving Savior, and even in His judgment, He is kind and loving. But the Bible says that there is a cup of wrath that is being filled up in heaven. And at some point, it's going to be full. And at that point, it will be turned over. And you know, we don't like to think about that, but it's true. And what that should do to us is not go, man, God is mean. Because he's not. He's been so patient. He's been so kind. He's been so loving. But at some point, it will happen. And so what it say to us is, before we're raptured out of here, before the tribulation, before things change, let's, let's, let's get as many people to go as we can. Let's get as many people to be a part of this relationship with Jesus as we can. Let's get as many people to go to heaven and be in the presence of God and be eternally connected to him from now until forever. That's what it should do to us. So today, let's celebrate. Let's celebrate. Jesus is coming. And He's coming in victory. And He's coming in power. And He's coming in love and grace and, and, and powerful, uh, 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 victorious movements of love. He's coming. We should be ready. Are you ready? Are you ready? Do you know Him? Do you have a relationship with Him? I'm going to pray for you. But then there's going to be a place for you to say, I want to make a decision to know Jesus today because I want to go when He comes. I want to be in the family. I want to be the fulfillment of His promise. I'm going to pray for you, but then we're going to give you a link and it's a, a way for you to connect for one of our pastors and leaders to pray with you. So make a decision today. This is not some fantasy. It's not some story. And listen, I shouldn't have to say that to you because you can look around in our world today and you can see. You can see. Father, I just pray for every single person on our online campus. And I pray, Heavenly Father, that you will 
put an urgency in our heart to know you, to be in relationship with you. And that, Heavenly Father, if we do know you, that we will share you with everyone around us. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you. Thank you for being a part today.